Wonderful. Okay. Uh, well, let's get this going. I mean, we uh, we figured out how to. We're technologists who can't figure out technology, but we're going to do this thing anyways. <laughs> so, um, you know, again, thanks everybody for joining us. It's uh, episode number twenty-seven of the Hot Isle, and uh, I'm your host Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piatti. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, everyone. It's awesome, Brent. Nice to talk to you again. You sound like uh, you sound like you've been having a, a, a very busy day. We'll probably get to that in a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's been one of those days, man, for everybody. That's awesome. Well, the goal of this show is, you know, really, this is my obsession. I, it's uh, to dig in a little bit deeper on what I call the fascinating subject of chat ops. Um, if you'll recall, we kind of learned a few things a, a couple episodes ago. Uh, when we spoke to another guest, and he mentioned that they were actually um, had or were working on a chat ops pro- a product, and you know just that whole subject came up, and it was new to me, and so I started digging and uh, looking around, and and here we are. Uh, and so with us today is a very specific guest with uh, you know a, a deep understanding of this topic. Uh, so Jason Hand, thank you for joining us, Jason. Ah, well, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on the on the podcast, and uh, looking forward to it. And so, Jason, we, we brought you on specifically. Why don't you, I mean, your current job, uh, just let's explain to everybody, uh, you're really good at this anyway. So why don't you explain to everybody what uh, you're doing right now? Sure. Um, so I'm the uh, tech, technical evangelist or specifically the DevOps evangelist for VictorOps. And VictorOps is a service, uh, software as a service that is for teams, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, going through a little bit of a cold right now, uh, teams that uh, need to be paged or alerted about problems with their infrastructure or their code or uh, a growing number of things as, as we start to monitor and kind of keep, keep an eye on uh, various things that we care about. Uh, we want to make sure that we get those alerts to the right people and give them the context that they need to uh, sort through those issues and get things repaired as quickly as possible. So as the DevOps evangelist, I spend a lot of times traveling and and uh, presenting, giving talks, and, and writing content on the number of subjects that are related to not only DevOps, but um, incident management and uh, sort of software delivery in general, with a little bit of a lean towards the incident management stuff, since that's what VictorOps, uh, their service provides. And so, so, yeah, so how did you get to this point? I mean, did you, you started at VictorOps as an evangelist? Did they find you because of something else you were doing, or... Yeah, so uh, VictorOps is located in Boulder, Colorado. That's where I live. And uh, previous to coming over to VictorOps, I was working for another startup in the area called Standing Cloud, which was a cloud platform, uh, platform as a service type of thing where you could go in and provision uh, VMs on on a huge list of different cloud providers out there from AWS and Rackspace all the way down to some of the smaller ones like GreenCloud. And um, once you had that instance set up, you could put any uh, open source or commercial um, application on it and then our service would um, kind of take care of all the behind-the-scenes work and then just provide you with a login. So I got very familiar and very comfortable with a lot of the cloud technology and a lot of um, sort of the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in the SaaS and in the, in the past uh, industry. And uh, somebody that was uh, working with me at the time over at Standing Cloud, um, uh, she uh, came on to VictorOps very early. And uh, we were actually just hanging out one evening, um, and she was telling me that they were looking for an evangelist. And I, uh, I just happened to kind of make a passing comment that, you know, if I wasn't so happy uh, at, at my current company, I would throw my name in the, in the hat for that. And um, 
from there, she just, you know, kind of said, well, actually, you're, you're the type of personality and type of person that we're looking for. So even if you're not interested, tell me a little bit about what it would um, look like to you to be of interest. And um, so we just kind of kept that conversation going. And, and here we are, um, you know, almost two years later. And I, I love the, the role of an evangelist. The travel is a little heavy and can sometimes be a little hard. But um, interacting with people, helping people, uh, educating a lot of folks out there on the different um, kind of uh, bleeding edge ideas and philosophies about software delivery is um, both challenging and interesting, and I'll you know look forward to keeping on keep doing it for a while. Hey, quick question, Jason. Um, you, you talked about standing cloud and you know platform as a service and, and platform just in general. Um, in, in in our world, we talk a lot about cloud foundry. Is is standing cloud and and that platform similar to that kind of in in, in, in how it enables customers, or is it something completely different than that? I think early on, it was probably intended to be similar to what Cloud Foundry um, currently is. Um, it's gone through a little bit of changes, and actually, it was it was acquired. Standing Cloud was acquired by another company in the Bay Area called AppDirect um, just a little bit before I left there. And what they were doing basically is is trying to create a platform where companies like, um, let's just say, Comcast or other large ISPs out there could then push off or at least provide to other businesses more of a business-to-business model, whereas a standing cloud was more of a a business-to-consumer model. Um, But it provided just a really easy access point to get into cloud. So you knew that you wanted to get some things off of some uh, hardware that you've got in your own data centers. You you just wanted to get it off that bare metal and start getting it out into the cloud, but you don't want to have lock, you know, like a lock-in to a certain particular provider. One of the great things that Standing Cloud provided was um, this ability to move around. So if I wanted to stand up a, uh, let's just say a WordPress uh, application onto a- Amazon, I could do that and have it ready in just a couple of minutes. And then I might run that for a few days or a few months and and decide, well, Amazon's solid, but the price is a little bit more than what I need. There's a lot more bells and whistles than what I actually um, I'm taking advantage of right now. So maybe uh, let's try a different one. And all you would do is just move it from one cloud to a, to another. Um, very easy with just a couple clicks. And the, the standing cloud platform would take care of it for you. So it gave you this ability to go out there and experiment with the cloud and not really have to know a lot about what goes on under the hood, but you also don't get locked into one particular cloud provider. So with your uh, relationship, uh, your former relationship with uh, AppDirect and then Standing Cloud, um, are they using uh, VictorOps now for their own internal support at all? They are. Yeah, they have a few teams that use us. Um, and, you know, of course, we're encouraging them to, to uh, explore a little bit more in terms of what they could be doing to kind of keep an eye on their infrastructure and make sure that the right people are alerted about the problems. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we at the same at the time that I was over there, they were using a different service. And, of course, uh, once I moved to Victor Ops, uh, we're, we're all buddies and um, we try to help each other out. And uh, I was uh, um, hopefully a little bit instrumental in letting them um, giving them the information they needed to make the right decision to move over to Victor Ops. Well, and so speaking of chat ops, the, basically when I went out looking for who we wanted to have on the podcast to talk about it, um, I was just kind of like Googling the subject and things like that. The way I found you is I found the perfect book for myself, um, and that is Chat Ops for Dummies. And so <laughs> I'm always fascinated with the For Dummies books. Did you, are you the sole author, or were there other people who authored it, or how'd that all work? How's that process work? 
Yeah, so I authored it myself. I do have a forward at the very beginning from a gentleman named James Fryman, who um, formerly worked at GitHub, where actually the term chat ops originated from. Uh, he's now over at a company called uh, Stackstorm and still very heavily involved with a lot of chat ops uh, discussions and, and the things that they do in, in the Stack, uh, Stackstorm product is very chat ops driven. Um, but the rest of the content was was written by me. I, of course, um, you know, leaned on a lot of different people to get some information and and make sure the things that I was putting in the book made not only made sense but they were accurate and that kind of thing. And so I consulted with a lot of the uh, developers and maintainers of some of the popular chatbots that are out there, and uh, of course had a number of conversations with other companies and other people that were actually. Uh, taking advantage of some sort of chat ops practices within their own organizations to make sure that uh, the things that I was sharing in the book were both uh, true for, for one, but also interesting and helpful for those uh, on a broad spectrum. I wanted it to be, and this is a lot of the reason why I chose to do the Dummies brand rather than O'Reilly or some other um, publisher, but I wanted it to make, um, I wanted it to be digestible to a large uh, group of people. So both technical and non-technical could hopefully read through that in a, in a really short amount of time and, and um, have a pretty good grasp about what that means to, um, to do this, this thing that we're calling chat ops. So Jason, uh, you, you brought up chat bots, uh, and in, in doing some research and yet I, I read about GitHub's, I think it was Hubot, right? H-U-Bot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bought. Um, okay, and then kind of from that, that's where it, where it took off. I know that um, we had a previous guest on that just started a company. I think it's Yeobot, which is kind of cool. But uh, um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how bots are certainly starting to interface into everyday everyday operations and chats. But I think we'll we'll dig into into that in just a little bit. I don't want to take too much away from, but from a from a GitHub perspective, Hubot. What was the the main uh, what was the main thing that it did? Well, so Hubot is, is a. I mean, for one, we should probably clarify that these these things that we call chat chat bots are nothing more than just applications um, that are running on some server somewhere. Typically, they're run on the on the inside of a VPN or inside of a firewall. Excuse me, um, so that they have access to all of the other. Uh, moving components of the environment that you're developing in and releasing software on. Um, but they're just applications. Hubot specifically is a Node.js application. Um, there's a couple other bots out there. There's one um, that's written in Ruby that's really popular. It's named Lita. Um, there's another one named uh, R2 that is written in Python. And there's just a couple others that have started to pop up uh, written in a number of different languages. So it kind of depends on what your own team or your own organization what type of language they like to work with uh, will usually decide which bot that you uh, decide to go with. But Hubot um, originated out of GitHub. It was something that they had developed uh, internally. And then at some point they decided they wanted to more or less um, rework it from the ground up and then open source it so that it's made, made available to others and lots of other people could contribute to it and make it better over time. And so because of that, uh, it was one of the early ones, or if not the earliest one, in terms of the modern chat, chat ops stuff. Now, a lot of these things, people have been writing bots to interact on IRC channels for years, um, but some of these, these new modern ones um, go a little bit beyond what some of the IRC bots could do. But Hubot was one of the original ones and, and certainly one of the more popular ones just because it's been around the longest. There's a, a growing and a large library of scripts that people can go ahead and download and, and modify to work for their, uh, within their own environment. And so, um, 
And so specific to Hubot, um, when you talk about where, where it exists in chat, when I learned about Hubot, it was actually from uh, one of the guys from EMC Code. And I, it, you know, eventually ran it on um, Cloud Foundry just because that was, you know, my way of learning one of our own products. Um, but, you know, he basically, I basically, you know, introduced him to Slack and said, hey, and I, I, you know, frankly, because we're not developers in that specific Slack, he turned into like a jiffy gr- grabber, you know, is very busy. Um, and, but, you know, when he first originated, what chat application was it kind of pointed at? I know it's kind of got a diverse platform now, but what was it originally pointed at as far as chat specifically? What were they using? Um, <clears throat> so at the time, uh, GitHub was using Campfire. And uh, Campfire's you know been around for a long time and uh, um, was popular for a long time. I think there's still a lot of teams out there that are using it. In fact, I think even currently GitHub still uses it, although I think they're transitioning away from it. Um, but you know, as the newer ones out there, of course, there's Slack, like you mentioned, and there's HipChat, and there's Flowdoc, um, and a couple others that you know they're really geared towards group collaboration. You know, it's not just like Google's GChat or something where you can have these one-on-one conversations. And of course, you can you can pull in others into a unique conversation, but it's the whole group chat thing um, that both HipChat and Slack. Uh, and Flowdoc are all providing uh, just a space for a lot of people to come in and collaborate. And, um, you know, I think Campfire was one of the early ones that did that. And uh, and that's the tool that at the time GitHub was using. And so if we go back to what you guys are integrating as far as uh, VictorOps, do you have a um, kind of a preferred uh, chat platform or are you guys um, diverse in the chat platforms that you're kind of working with? And did you start with one and and move into others based on what size they were? Yeah, well, currently, currently we're we're actually using Slack the most. I would say, um, although we try to bounce around and try a lot of different ones because our own product has an integration, a native integration, uh, currently with both HipChat and Slack, and we've got great relationships with every, you know lots of people over at Atlassian, um, making sure that our products work well with each other, and we're providing these great services for their end users. Uh, but internally, at least for the moment, we um, we uh, rely heavily on Slack within VictorOps. Okay. That's awesome. So we kind of we got a little bit ahead of ourselves because we uh, got excited about the whole idea of chat bots, and then we, you know, got into there. Let's um, rewind just slightly here. Um, we keep mentioning VictorOps, and um, you're a d- developer evangelist or a DevOps evangelist for VictorOps. Um, what is? Just tell us what is VictorOps? What's the mission of the company? Um, what are the products outside? You know, if it's the just the chat ops product, or what else is there? Yeah. So traditionally, it's been it's been the operations team or the system administrators who have been um, tagged with the responsibility of being on call. So if something were to go wrong with some piece of the infrastructure, whether that's a server going offline or a service stopping um, and not working anymore, or maybe there's some sort of network um, problem. Uh, I mean, there's a you know a huge list of potential things that could go wrong. There was usually um, a number of people that would be either on a sysadmin team or what's called an ops team or an operations team. And those were the people that were paged or alerted about some sort of problem. Uh, but that, you know, as the DevOps movement and the DevOps philosophies have grown, that's, that's expanded beyond just the traditional ops teams. And there's more and more people who need to know about problems as they happen so that there's a shorter feedback loop and we can understand and, and address these issues and, and get them repaired quicker. And so... VictorOps is is basically set out to make that whole experience of being on call um, 
much easier and much more, um, you know, you can only make it so enjoyable, but let, let's see what we can do to make this whole thing uh, not suck quite as much. And so the, the point is to, if you can get a lot of people in there and sort of swarming on an issue and making sure that you got really good really good context about what's exactly taking place, you know, pulling in some information from different monitoring uh, tools and services, different logging services, um, but giving all of the relevant information to the right people at the right time, they can repair those problems and those, um, those issues a lot faster. You know, we've moved into this world where it's okay actually to have uh, problems. You know, you're not actually probably pushing yourself and you're not probably innovating as much as you should be if you aren't having or, you know, experiencing some sort of small or minor incidents every once in a while. And the point isn't these days really to sort of remove all of those incidents and those, you know, outages, but actually just reduce the time that it takes to repair them. And so the tool is actually, or the service is is designed to help you repair those um, problems faster rather than having this mindset of, well, we don't want that to ever happen again. Um, it's, you know, it's something it, you, in a complex environment and these systems that we're building, they're super complex, they're very complicated and, and failure is inevitable. So um, giving everybody the right tools that they need in a collaborative space to actually go in and solve the problem is really sort of the idea behind VictorOps. I think there's, uh, when I went to your website, I, I watched the videos, which are pretty comical, um, to be honest with you. Whose idea uh, were the videos? Uh, yeah, so we've got a social media um, person on our team there named uh, Tara who uh, handles all that kind of stuff. She's she's a, a former comic and a, and a writer, and she's got a lot of uh, a wit um, about her and about the things that she likes to do. So that, the video that you see on the main page right now is um, kind of her brainchild. And then the, the shirts are hilarious, too. You got the one with, like, the three wolves howling at the moon, and it's like the Victor Ops logo. Obviously, someone's got uh, a, co a comedic background, for sure, I can tell. Yeah, well, I mean, we're still maybe not technically a startup anymore, but we're still a young company, and we're very, you know, when we come into work, we're, we're happy to be there. We love what we're doing. We love the people that we're working with, and we think that, you know, the, the, the customers and the people that we help um, like that about us, and, and, and um, so whatever we can do to sort of, you know, not just be a business and not just provide a service and not solely look at it in terms of just revenue, um, if we can be, you know, friends and, and help create um, value for each other, you know, um, you've got a problem, we've got a problem, we can both help each other. Uh, and we can also do this on a friendly level and we can, you know, be fun about it. I think that's, that's sort of the spirit of startups in general. And even after you've grown out of that startup phase, um, if you can hold on to that culture, I think that goes a long way. And that's, that's something that we, we definitely spend a lot of time making sure we, we maintain that culture as we grow. Yeah, so looking at uh, looking at the, the like the founding team and executive team, there's not a single Victor amongst any of them. So who's Victor? Where did the name come from? Yeah, we don't have anybody named Victor. Although there's been uh, a lot of customers who come by and, and you know they, they tell us that they are the Victor. Um, the the term itself is really just. Um, short for for victorious or being victorious um so the idea of uh you know if there's some sort of problem and you can go out there and, and you've solved that problem you are now victorious about that problem so um that's more or less where that name came from is is just the term victorious or victory okay oh that makes sense i i just love the tagline or slogan or motto whatever it is make on call suck less 
Yeah, that that really resonates with a lot of people. I mean, if you've ever been the person who has to carry the pager and if if you're on call, especially for a number of days and nights in a row, um, even if you don't get a single alert, uh, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. It's a it's a high stress role and you lose sleep over it. Um, if you do get a lot of alerts, you, you start to experience alert fatigue, which means that you maybe aren't as reactionary as you should be. Um, so it's, you know, it's not a role that um, should be taken lightly and it, and it can suck in, in, you know, almost all cases. So whatever we can do to make it suck less, uh, when people see that at our booths and they read that on our different uh, material, you can just tell that, you know, when they, when it's funny at a, at a conference, I'll see someone walk by and, and I'll know that I can tell that they're reading that. And I'll just see their head start to bob up and down. Like, yeah, I agree with that. And you can just tell that that's, that's somebody who either, you know, is on call a lot uh, for their current role or has been a lot. And it resonates with them very, very well. And uh, as somebody who has been on call for um, every single part of my career in IT up until the last couple of years, thank you. Um, and then <laughs> on top of that, I mean, leave it to develop. You know, once it became to the point where as the shift of who's responsible for what, uh, you know, a lot of times it's like the infrastructure teams um, have to basically prove there's nothing wrong with that. And then at the end of the day, you kind of call the developers and go, okay, it's something you need to fix. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll fix that tomorrow or whatever. And, you know, the infrastructure team used to wake up. Things are shifting now. And now the developers are the ones who are having to take these alerts and maybe even wake up to fix their application. Um, you know, leave it to a genius developer to create something to make their portion of the job easier. Um, I don't know where you were 10 years ago, but I'm a little, I'm a little mad about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, out of curiosity, right? I mean, you've got chat ops and, uh, you know, dev ops, and this is all for um, extremely smart people who, uh, you know, have a, are kind of somewhat uh, development oriented, these names anyways. Um, and there is this operations portion of it. Um, how much of this ties to, you know, from a application support experience versus say a um, infrastructure and true, like the actual, uh, the rest of the operational support. Is there a, is it more geared towards development or is it more geared towards like true DevOps where both sides are, are supported in this kind of chat ops experience? I would say more or less it's, it's, it's primarily the ops and the DevOps minded or, or focused people. Uh, but we are seeing a lot of folks who are starting to integrate in uh, different phases within their development lifecycle. Um, so maybe, you know, different builds, they want to know if those builds are successful or if they're not. And in a lot of cases, um, you know, they're right there at their stations or they're right there on their, uh, you know, on their laptops and they know when something fails immediately. Um, but in some cases they are starting to experiment with that and, and have that go through, um, Victor ops so that someone is alerted to the problem, but also everybody knows that there's something going on at that time. It's not just that developer. So it, it broadens this situational awareness beyond just that one specific person or that one specific team in terms of what may be going wrong. And so we are starting to see um, as more and more people um, kind of embrace this whole DevOps philosophy and mentality, uh, they are starting to leverage services like VictorOps earlier on in the development lifecycle so that they are paged to a problem. Even if it's during office hours in the middle of the day, they want that stuff to, to flow through VictorOps, actually go out and alert somebody, and then bring a bunch of eyeballs in and say, okay, something just happened with our build or something just happened with some sort of code push. Um, what's going on? And so um, it's it's kind of speaks to this whole collaborative idea and just getting a lot of people aware of what's 
what's taking place outside of their own little bubble, which is you know a big part of the DevOps uh, movement is that you have to care about more than just what your specific tiny little role is, and that helps build empathy. And then we we actually kind of care about more, and we start to care about is the business even being successful rather than is my code quality up to up to par. And and speaking of code quality, when you start putting the developers on call, you know they start to feel the pain of of being paged. And so um, it's kind of amazing how much um, more thorough they are with their with their code, and they start to you know spend a little bit more time and make sure that that quality of code is actually better than what it may have used to been otherwise. So you bring up a good point, uh, Jason. So you, I watched your speech at Iterate uh, Phoenix conference, and you spent a lot of time at the beginning digging into into empathy. So can you kind of cover again uh, why empathy was such an important uh, segue into DevOps and and what VictorOps is doing. Yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, within the DevOps um, kind of, we'll just call it community, you know, the folks that show up at conferences like Velocity or Iterate um, or the DevOps days that go on all around the world. They all... Um, well, a lot of the speakers will touch on empathy. You hear uh, over and over again. And the reason being is that we can stand outside of your company and say, hey, you need to tear down your silos and you need to start collaborating a little bit better and you need to just, you know, kind of be a better person. You know, don't be one of these jerks who, yeah, you may be really, really good at your job, but if you can't interact with other people and other teams, um, you're, you're really not helping the overall, you know, business objectives. And it boils down to this idea of empathy. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think people kind of, um, confuse empathy and sympathy. Um, but empathy is really about being able to put yourself in that person's shoes. And so if you've never, let's just use the, the example of being on call, if you've never been on call, if you've never received a page at four in the morning, then you really can't empathize with me. And so you don't know that pain point. You don't know what it's like for me to have to deal with some sort of issue that I don't even, I don't, not only do I know what's causing it, I don't know how to fix it. Uh, maybe I've realized that this is due to some sort of bug in, in some code, but that's not code that I have any intimate knowledge about. And so empathy, if, if you keep, if you sort of keep drilling down into different ways to sort of attack, um, concepts in DevOps, a lot of it boils down to just being willing to sort of empathize with other people and other roles. Um, and I think it's really interesting. And for me personally, I love the idea because I think empathy is one of those things that really opens up doors in relationships in general. You know, if you can actually empathize with people, which it's not always possible, but once you are able to empathize, you, you create a bond and you create this um, uh, or you open up this door to a broader uh, or a deeper level of conversation and collaboration. And, and I think that's really at the heart of um, not only DevOps, but a lot of the things that sort of um, get lumped into the DevOps movement. Uh, it's, you know, it's just right there in the center of all of it. And Jason, I can, I can feel the pain in your voice from being on call. Uh, it sounds like it's probably your time at American Fasteners, but I, I, think, I, can, <laughs> I think I can actually feel it through the mic here. Yeah, that was uh, those were the years. I uh, I was the lonely IT guy, and I actually remember having a, an actual pager um, when things would break, and um, 
luckily I only lived, this was before, you know, I could actually VPN into, into anything. So luckily I only lived a few miles from my office and I could go in and, and see what's going on, but uh, it was not pleasant, you know, and with, you know, with, even with all the modern technology and being able to flip it up, you know, just flip open your, your, um, your laptop or open up your mobile, um, and actually, actually get into your systems from anywhere in the world. It's still not a pleasant experience. So well, I think, I think you brought up a, uh, Another thing in your speech, which I, I love this quote by Johnny Vincent, and, and I don't really know who the guy is, but the quote, um, everyone chuckled in the audience, but DevOps means giving a shit about your job enough not to pass the buck, which I think is true not only in, in, in your job and in DevOps, but like just caring about the team overall, mm -hmm. right? And having empathy, I think that kind of flows very, very well into that whole conversation, but Who's who's Johnny Vincent? <laughs> yeah, he's he's a great guy. He's he's another sort of gentleman in the DevOps space. He lives down in the Atlanta area. Um, I just saw him actually. He was at DevOps Days Charlotte. It was the first time we had actually had a chance to meet. But um, he's pretty well known in the space and does some does some writings and some blog posts about uh, his sort of thoughts about DevOps. But um, uh, yeah, that that quote has been shared over and over again in all kinds of uh, different decks regarding DevOps because it's so blunt. You know, it's like right to the point about what we're trying to say. And yeah, there's some language in there that we can't you know say in front of everybody all the time, but it, it gets right to the point. And to me, another way of explaining it is that no problem is someone else's. You know, you got to really like care about what you're doing rather than just handing it off and saying, "Well, that's not my problem. I'm not on call, or I didn't write that code, or." you know, whatever the case is, like, that's not the mentality that really holds up anymore if you really want to get things done, because that's just, that's just another gate, you know, and DevOps is really about removing friction and removing barriers so that we get this code really fast because agile practices has, has sped up, you know, the, the ability to actually write code, but then you hand it over to the ops people and their job really is to make sure that systems don't break. So they start pumping the brakes and, you know, that's when all of a sudden the business can't, realize its full value because there's friction in the system. And I think if you can get to that, you know, get that mindset of, well, don't pass the buck off, don't make it somebody else's problem, solve this on your own, um, or at least help understand what the problem is or help someone else understand what the problem is. Like you can, you can start to see those, those barriers and what they call the silos start to just sort of dissolve. And so when we're talking about, you know, dissolving silos, and I, I think about the orgs I've worked in, we think about all these things that are going on. I understand, you know, I'm in, um, we're, we, we go back to these, um, you know, chat apps, you know, I'm, I'm in like, uh, now I have Slack sprawl. I used to have distro group sprawl, but now I'm in 11 chat slacks or whatever. I'm in a Slack with like my wife, you know, we don't even text anymore. Um, <laughs> and so as what, how does this integration work, right? I'm in a Slack. I work at a company. Um, maybe I'm in that same group with everybody who's in infrastructure or in our entire DevOps practice, you would hope. Um, how does your product integrate? How does, um, you know, I guess obviously we see how they use it. They could still go make their jokes in whatever random channel. And then where do the alerts kind of get integrated? Show, explain the flow. Sure. Well, um, you know, it's all really API driven. Uh, of course, VictorOps does have a native uh, integration with both Slack and HipChat, but uh, a lot of folks out there just love to tinker around with APIs. And so at least for, let's, you know, talking about VictorOps, you could use the, uh, the APIs that we have available and more or less just 
take those incidents as they happen and pump them into um, one particular channel or room, depending on the, the chat client that you're using. And so that would be the room where everybody comes in and collaborates about, okay, we just saw this incident come in. Uh, you know, does anybody know what this is about? And, and you start to have that conversation about what's taking place and, and how we're going to start chipping away at it. And so it's really all API driven for the most part. I mean, a lot of, a lot of teams out there, they love building on APIs. They love sort of looking at them like they're Legos and just start kind of building their own little things in, internally. Um, but it's more or less just letting that information go in both directions, in and out of your Slack uh, channel or your HipChat room or whatever other tool you're using so that it's just bi-directional and it's, um, you know, it's synchronous. You know, the, these these conversations are happening in real time rather than through email. You know, still a lot of companies, when they get alerted, it just goes into an inbox um, or goes into some folder within an inbox, and who knows when they're going to see it. And it's really not that easy to collaborate and have a conversation with others um, with an email. You know, you might forward it on to another person and say, hey, did you see this? Do you have any idea what this means? No, let's ask Bob, and they forward it on to him. And it might take, you know, an hour or all day to actually get to the bottom of what's going on. But if you can get that into a chat uh, space where everybody is all in the same room, more or less, virtually, and having conversations about it, things really start to happen a lot faster. And that's really the point. And so, uh, you know, the integrations you mentioned so far with Slack and um, with uh, HipChat, things like that, um, as far as, I guess, um, northbound integrations into alerting type systems, do you have a bunch of native ones? Like the first one that comes to mind to me is PagerDuty. Um, that's what we used to use and you know when it was relatively young do you have integrations that way or is that all up to the end users to kind of get to that point of what they want to do yeah well when it comes to pager duty victorops is actually would be considered a replacement of pager duty so it does all of the same things that pager duty does uh, but we sort of take it to another level in terms of uh, providing that collaborative area and letting you see what's going on and you know the reporting and we've got a tool called the transmogrifier which will actually look at the raw alert as it's coming over from your monitoring so let's say maybe nagios that's one of the more popular ones out there so you get this information that comes in from nagios and we go out there and we, we page jason because he's on call and then by the time you know Jason logs into VictorOps, um, the transmogrifier would have gone out and grabbed all these different pieces of information that you were going to go look for. So it just saved me like maybe a couple of minutes because I was going to go grab some logs. I was going to go look at a graph. Um, I was going to maybe pull up a runbook that's related to this type of service. And the transmogrifier will just give all that to you right in the alert so that you know by the time you're paged, you have all of the things that you need to go find. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, does this calendaring and the scheduling of who's on call for different shifts. So it pretty much replaces PagerDuty and then adds a bunch of stuff on top of that. Um, but if you go back to like Nagios, um, you know, that's one example of a native integration. Uh, all, pretty much all of the popular monitoring services out there, Datadog, Zabbix, um, you know, New Relic, any kind, of, any kind of monitoring, whether that's at the stack um, or the infrastructure level or at the application level, uh, we've got native integrations or we've got um, some sort of endpoint that they can pump that into Victrops. And then based on what, uh, monitoring service it is or what service that may be failing or what you know hardware that may be failing whatever the case is uh, the system knows who to go get so you're not going to go page me if it's a database problem you're actually going to you know you're, you're going to go get Brian because he's the database guy now if it's a network thing you can go ahead and get me even though I might not be on call because if you go page Brian and he's the database guy and he has no idea how the network works he's just going to turn around and go find Jason so let's not waste our time and let's just go get Jason 
Yeah, I thought it was cool watching the video, just seeing the, you know, we, we think of Slack as just kind of for chat, but this actually, to your point, brings up pictures and diagrams and things that are probably important at that specific point in time. Um, but beyond that, what are some of the cool use cases, right? I've, I, I've heard about triggers and salesforce.com, um, obviously notifications and chat, uh, dormy at GitHub. So talk to, talk to us about some of those kind of cool use cases um, outside of what we typically would think in operations. Yeah. So one of the ones I like to share the most, and it really speaks to, um, you know, there's a lot of people who, who love this idea of chat ops. They can't really find the, the right way to get, um, get any kind of traction internally. I mean, they, they can get their developers and, and their operations people talking about it and using it because there are certain tools, you know, Jenkins and, and GitHub and certain things that they use regularly that they can uh, pump pump right into chat and it makes perfect sense. But you really want a lot of people to be part of the conversations or at least have have access to those conversations. So the one thing that we did was uh, we recognized that Salesforce is, is like the, the tool that everybody uses, mostly at least in the sales and marketing teams. And that's where they reside. That's where all the information is that they need. And they spend a lot of time going into Salesforce, uh, running reports or running queries or looking up stuff. Um, and in a lot of cases, that information is valuable beyond the person who's actually looking for it in that moment. So we we set up an integration, and, and in our case, we're actually leveraging another service called Zapier, um, which has integration points into Salesforce. And so while through going into Zapier and and you know making some different rules in there, anytime something changes within Salesforce that I'm interested, so, so for, here's a good example, uh, the Chat Ops for Dummies book. Anytime someone downloads that book, um, there's a record that gets changed within Salesforce. And anytime that record gets changed, I'm sent an alert through chat, through Slack. And then I can immediately reach out to that person and let them know, you know, thank you for downloading the book. Let me know if there's any questions. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And that type of stuff, I would have had to have set aside time maybe at the end of the week and gone in and run a report on Salesforce and say, give me the last 100 downloads of this book. And then, and then you know, go out and try to, like, at that point, reach out to every person. Now, you know, maybe that's the preferred way you want to do it. But for some people, they want, they want that immediate um, information uh, be because they want to be able to make decisions quickly rather than you know at the end of the week or at the end of the quarter when things are things are different and I you know if I would have known that on Friday or Monday instead of Friday I might have done something different um, so once we made it so that information that goes beyond the ops and the dev teams um, started showing up within chat um, all of a sudden everybody was on board and everybody was like, okay, can you have it do this? Can you, can, can you make it so that, you know, when we reach this number um, of sales or something, can you make it notify us? And it's, you know, it's really cool to, to start seeing everybody get really creative on what they would like to see going into chat. Um, but that's kind of my favorite story to share is the, is the Salesforce one with our marketing and sales team. And so uh, what about customers? I mean, you guys obviously have plenty of customers. What are you seeing customers do that you were like, Okay, well, when we created this, we didn't really think about that, but that's awesome. Some of the stuff that that I'm starting to see people do is actually leveraging some um, some actual like physical stuff. So they may actually have uh, some sort of physical monitors on doors or windows. Um, or heat sensors or things like that um, within their location, and and those are things that you know they wanted to know about. 
And so just pretty much just leveraging the the API of, of both VictorOps and, and whatever service that they're using for that monitoring of their physical space. Um, that's actually going through VictorOps and paging somebody. You know, maybe it's maybe it's more of a facilities person, but it's it's paging them directly. But it's it's not just paging them, but it's also going into VictorOps, and now everybody knows. You know, maybe I didn't get paged that you know the the door to the office was opened at 1 a.m. last night, um, but I know that, and so I'm sort of on the same page. And it kind of goes back to that situational awareness of well. Even if I didn't really need to know it, and I certainly didn't need to be paged about it, it is information and it is transparent. Um, and that's sort of the main thing is that everybody, um, if we can create this place or this this idea of being more transparent about what goes on, that helps with the empathy thing. And that helps us all start to you know kind of work together a little bit better. So going to customer use cases, and we don't have to necessarily talk specifically, but you guys have a lot of actually really cool customers, right? Epic Games, Activision, DirecTV, F5, New York Times, Rackspace, Snapchat, right? So what I'm seeing in there is a smattering of, of companies that are, you know, called born in the cloud, for instance, and then very traditional enterprise, you think of monolithic type applications, less DevOps, right? So um, obviously this can fit anywhere, but what are you seeing as the... The, the main uh, consumers of this, are they kind of the newer born in the cloud companies or uh, the traditional companies? So the transition that I'm seeing <clears throat> is, you know, it started off with a lot of the companies. We'll just use Snapchat, for example, because they're one of the brands that, that, you know, a lot of people know, maybe not everybody. Um, and, and they're great as a customer and we love them and, and hopefully they love us as much. But they're companies like that. So they're, they're a little bit more um, sort of bleeding edge, um, software as a service. So that was a lot of our early customers. And then it transitioned into some more, um, you know, and we'll also say I would lump at the time because I think it, this was pre um, when, when they got acquired, um, a lot of startup companies. And then it sort of transitioned into a lot of other um, growing companies who are really not um, providing what we'll say a software as a service, but they are providing something um, to their internal teams. And so that's their service that they're providing. Uh, and, and then that, you know, I think that sort of um, took on uh, this momentum and, and we started to see a lot of people who were former PagerDuty customers realizing that the price for PagerDuty is quite a bit higher and, and it's not quite providing as much as VictorOps does. So there's just out of curiosity, a lot of people start coming over and, and looking to see, well, what is this VictorOps thing? And, and we've got a lot of great customers through that as well, a lot of the ones that you mentioned. What we're starting to see now, though, um, is that we're, we're getting into the enterprise space. And it wasn't even deliberate, um, but we're starting to see these larger companies, you know, teams of uh, 100, 200, 500 and larger people. And, and they, they range from traditional ops and devs to also marketing and support and even all the way up into the C-level. These are people that, you know, it may not necessarily be their core responsibility to be on call, but they do want to be sort of on call about specific things. And they do want to know about stuff as it happens rather than, you know, wade through their inbox the next morning or see it in a report later in the week. They really want to know this stuff as it's happening. It really goes to that, you know, that agile mindset of, 
you know, shorten the feedback loop so that we can make decisions quicker and not waste our time working on something that doesn't bring value to the business. So we're starting to see this, this shift and this growth towards larger companies, which is really awesome because, you know, it's helping us build out our service. Um, we're helping other companies. One of the things I'll be doing a lot this year is actually uh, going around and, and helping some of these larger companies really get their head around what is this DevOps thing anyway, because, you know, they start to read about it and they start to see it. And a lot of times um, they naively think that it's just something that they can go out and either hire a consultant or, or pay somebody to, to basically provide them. And it doesn't really work that way. And I think that's a big reason why we talk about empathy and some of the other things that it, it's not specifically about processes or tools, although those do play a role. It's really about changing the mindset and changing the way that you approach how you get work done. And in an enterprise situation, um, that that is really really hard. You know, the, you guys mentioned earlier they've got these monolithic infrastructure environments. They've got really dug in bureaucratic bureaucratic processes. They've probably been uh, leveraging ITIL and um, those type of like change management and going through change advisory boards and all those little things that uh, are really just gates that kind of you know create friction in the system and. I think for a while that was okay. That they realized that, that that was fine because the, the, the service and the product that we're providing doesn't necessarily need to be updated really quickly. Um, but now as the enterprises are starting to realize that the IT groups are actually providing a service to their internal employees and they are also writing software and provisioning servers and all these other things and they need to do it much quicker. You know, I can't go to IT and, and request a VM and, and, and be okay with it taking a week to get that VM. Like I need that in a couple of minutes or at least, you know, within the hour. Um, in order to do that, we have to look at IT teams as though they are service providers. And so it's really going to be a strong focus on educating some of these bigger companies and these bigger teams on, um, one, what is DevOps, but two, uh, reframing their roles so that they now see themselves as service providers, which I think will, will hopefully, one, give them a little bit of a shot in the arm and, and realize that you know, they don't just have to come in every day and clock in and out and just do mundane work for a lot of them, but they have um, maybe a newfound sense of purpose and, and have like this, um, this desire to actually want to provide great service to, you know, they, they don't care about any, you know, they don't care about who's buying the car. If it's GM, they care about the people that's in accounting, making sure that the accounting software is working properly. And so they start to just re reframe the, the, the way that they look at things. And so um, that's really been the sort of evolution that I've seen in terms of our customer base. It's gone from really small and startup-y type of companies uh, and internet forward um, type of companies. And now, in fact, just this week, we released um, sort of a split product of an enterprise product and what we were calling our just our standard product because we're, we're, we're being approached by so many more larger and larger companies and we needed a way to um, you know, provide a service for them as well. And so, I mean, speaking of large companies, I mean, Activision at this point, while they, they used to be a niche uh, developer has now gobbled up everybody and um, I think it's just them and EA left. So, are they specific? Maybe it's none of our business, but are they specifically using it on their new um, game development teams for um, you know support and things like that? Or are they looking? Are they looking at your product more on their platforms support of keeping all these um, you know large server environments up that are supporting these online games? What, is it or is it both? I believe it's a little bit of both. Uh, I, I haven't actually worked with them directly. Um, 
so I, I can't really speak with a lot of you know accuracy on that, but I believe it's a little bit of both. I'm sure it started off with their infrastructure, um, and then it sort of evolved. Uh, what, what's really great that we see, and I and I'm you know this isn't um, specific to just them, is that a lot of teams will come in and they'll and they'll be smaller teams. They'll be like between ten and twenty, or maybe you know fifty people that they bring in. You know these are large companies, but that's a, still a small team for them. And then once they start to realize the value that it's bringing, they start adding more people into, into the service because they realize that this is where it's all going down and this is where there's all, a lot of great information and we want you to know about it so that we can make decisions quicker and we can you know, repair things quicker. And so what tends to happen is that they come in there, they set things up, and then they start to see, wow, this, this is something we could use over here with these guys as well or something we could use with this team. And, and it just starts to grow internally um, from within that company. And I think that's, that's um, you know, to me, it's really cool um, to see that. And it's very, um, um, I guess, motivational to know that you know, they are seeing value in what we're creating and what we're providing. And, and hopefully it, it doesn't, it's not that they're just consuming what we, what we're building, but we're co-creating this value together. You know, they go in and they say, well, we love it that it does this, but we also would love it if it would do this. And so we take that feedback and we immediately go back to our product and our, our design team and, and start iterating on it pretty quickly. And so we kind of feel like these customers are more like partners, um, really, which is really great. And so, and, and that's awesome as far as the expansion and I'm sure your, uh, investors and everybody loves that. Um, because it's kind of like, you know, you get a, put a seed in and then it just kind of watered a little bit and it go, grows by itself. Uh, so it looks like you guys have been running for about, you know, you're going into your fourth year, you're about four years old. Um, you have roughly 18 million in seed funding, um, uh, including some that you just got within the last 90 days or so, which is awesome. Uh, congrats. So someone thinks this is a fairly big market. What do you guys see? What do you, when you guys go talk and talk about what your market is, what is, what does that market look like? And what are, you know, like, what's the future of that market? Yeah. So we're growing like crazy. Um, we feel like it's, it's a great place to be. It's a great time to be in this, in this industry. Um, there's a lot of people out there building awesome services and, and products and, and they need services like VictorOps. Um, so it's a great place to be. There are other, of course, um, you know, competitors and other people in the space, PagerDuty being one. Um, but, it's a great big world and there's lots of people, you know, there's that saying that you'll hear a lot that software is consuming the world and it, it's totally true. I mean, every, every company out there now, um, has to provide software and it's not that they're providing it to their end consumers necessarily. It's like I was saying earlier, they're providing it internally. And so, and that's not going to go away. So it's, it's really awesome right now to just, to see all these people come to us looking for help. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's really, to be perfectly honest, kind of a, um, a comfortable place to be right now because although we do a lot of marketing and we do a lot of sales, a lot of it is all inbound things. You know, people have heard about us and they come and they start asking questions and they self they self sign up and um, to to us that, that you know that means that the the thing that we've created is valuable and uh, and it does work and it does you know exactly what um, we claim it does and people think that it's really cool and then word of mouth they start to spread it out. Um, but the growth, I think, you know, there's tons of room and, and we're starting to, um, see a lot of companies outside of just the tech hubs. You know, of course we've got a lot of customers in the Silicon Valley and the Bay area. Um, there's a lot of tech, uh, here where we are in Denver and Boulder, of course, over in the East coast in Boston, uh, Austin, Texas, there's, you know, the traditional 
kind of tech hubs. We've got a lot of customers in there, but we're starting to see others uh, all across the country in what you would think are not really high tech areas. Um, and then also internationally, we're starting to see a lot of customers uh, international too. So I think we'll start doing a little bit of traveling. I'll probably have to go out and um, uh, take some longer flights to, to go speak with some people in, in different parts of the world, which I'm excited about. Um, and I'm really excited for the company in general, just because, like you said, we, we recently got new funding and, and we're set for quite some time. Uh, and we can hopefully use that to, to grow the company and, and grow our efforts in pretty much every area. Huh, so uh, international flights, if you need to apprentice, just let me know. And uh, <laughs> I heard you say uh, Boston and Austin. That's really uh, that's fascinating. You don't uh, you probably don't even know a ton about what we uh, what we do, but that's a really interesting comment there. So I'll just leave it out there like that. So um, I did have one more question. I've been thinking about this for you know almost twenty minutes now. Um, the transmogrifier. Uh, it feels. Is it lonely or is there, is it going to get a new partner in crime that's going to help do <laughs> that next thing in your, in your product? And, uh, what, where are you, where are you guys headed with this thing? What's going to get added or who's, who's the transmogrifiers partner in crime, uh, going down the road? Yeah. You know, the, the transmogrifier is one, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. You know, it's got a fun name. Um, but it's also a really great tool, very useful and by far our most popular feature, uh, between that and our, and our postmortem reporting. Uh, those are the two that people use the most. Um, yeah, we've got some things in the works. Uh, I'm probably not able to like discuss it too much in detail, but um, we do want to go back. I will say that we do want to go back and 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 spend a little bit more time, kind of taking the feedback that we've received on the transmogrifier and um, touching that up, adding some more uh, customizable things in there, some ways that people can can really get the information that they want and also be able to take the actions that they need. One of the, one of the really cool things, you know, in terms of chat ops um, that I like to share when I'm kind of showing off the transmogrifier to people is, um, let's say, for example, um, your web services, like maybe you're using Apache, uh, stops working. Well, you know, something would detect Apache stops working. It's going to go through uh, and go into VictorOps and then go alert Jason that Apache has stopped working. And then historically, Jason would wake up and he'd like SSH into that box and then just restart Apache and everything's good and I go back to sleep. Well, now what you can do is through the transmogrifier and leveraging things like chatbots, you can go ahead and make it so that um, I may still get paged or maybe I'll just get a notification. It's not something necessarily that's going to alert me and wake me up. Um, but what it's, what it's going to do first is it's going to go ahead and signal a chatbot that the Apache service has gone offline and the chatbot knows you know, what it should do in this case and it'll go in and restart Apache for me. And so now leveraging chatbots through a transmogrifier, because the transmogrifier is nothing more than just a rules engine that says, you know, if this happens, then do this. Um, you can say one of those rules, you know, step one is ask my chatbot to log into that box, restart Apache. If things are fine, business as usual. If it still doesn't work, then go ahead and page Jason. So I think we'll start to see more and more kind of really cool stuff like that, which is, you know, it's definitely not AI in any, in any sense, but it's, it's some sort of auto remediation, you know, something that's very simple. It's a, it's a very repeatable step. This is always step one for when Apache's not working is you just log in and you restart it and go from there. I think we're going to start seeing uh, some more stuff like that. That's really cool, Jason. I love it. What, what's a, what's a good place um, other than listening to this podcast, but uh, to find videos, maybe for instance, on, on exactly what you talked about, or is it best just to reach out to you guys and learn more? 
I think the best thing is to reach out because we, we like to hear stories about what people are, are doing. Um, of course, our knowledge base is, is full of all kinds of really good stuff. So if you go to victorops.com and, and uh, look at our knowledge base, you can see a lot of um, you know, tutorial videos and what people are doing with the transmogrifier. And of course, all the usual things about how to set up VictorOps and configure it the way that you need to. But honestly, we, we love... Um, hearing from folks, you know, whether they're a customer or they're just somebody in, in tech uh, who has a problem. And we like to sort of see what we can do to help that. Uh, part, of the, part of the thing about being an evangelist is you're, um, you're very interested in, in knowing what other people are doing and, and seeing if, you know, if I don't have an answer, I may know somebody who does have an answer or some, you know, somebody that can help. And so at least for me, and I think this sort of, this sort of echoes across our support team and most of the entire company, um, we like to have those conversations. You know, we're not just um, um, some sort of machine or some sort of just organization that, that um, is out really just to create a service that people will buy. We're trying to create value together. And it's, you know, we're not, even though almost everybody in our company, with the exception of maybe a few people in sales and marketing, all of us have been on call most of our life. So we really can sort of understand what that's like. Um, the world changes and, and people's roles changes and technology changes. So we want to hear about what's going on out there and see if we can um, tackle the problems together. So, yeah, I would, I would encourage them really to just reach out to us, um, you know, either through Twitter or, you know, through our support channels on our website, all the usual stuff. Okay, cool. So uh, let's, let's wrap this up. We, you know, we know how to reach out to Victor Ops, your employer. But, uh, you know, the goal of the show is to get to know you and about your company. So what's what's a great way to to get in touch with you? I mean, I've seen you on, on Twitter and GitHub and you've got a blog. But uh, tell the folks out there what's the best way to, to re- reach out to you. Sure. Yeah, I think Twitter is always the best. I mean, I love having conversations on Twitter um, kind of with, for the same reason why the whole chat ops thing and, and a lot of the things Victor Ops is doing is, is fascinating to me is because those conversations are very transparent and they're very open. And although, you know, one of you guys might have a question for me, the answer I give you may be valuable to others. And so by having that conversation in an open space where other people can can take part in the information and, and leverage that information, um, I mean, that's that's the heart behind chat ops in general and and a lot about what the the collaborative piece that we really um, hang our hats on with Victor Ops um, is about. So Twitter's the best way, I think. I do have a blog, jasonhand.com. I'm at jasonhand on Twitter. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are probably the best ways to, to get in touch with me. And um, you, anybody can email me, of course, jason at victorops.com, and I can answer questions and, and point you in the direction if I don't have, uh, have what you're looking for. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people and, and, and see what's going on out there and see if I can help in any way. Yeah, and we just found out prior to recording our podcast that uh, you were just on a podcast, or communitypulse.io. Is that yours, or you were on it recently? Yeah, that's one of mine, actually. Um, I started that uh, with my co-host, Mary Thingval, uh, back in October, I guess. And um, through the holidays and, and you know this type of year, it's uh, or at least towards the end of last year and then getting into the holidays, it was a little busy, so we didn't get a, a lot of um, episodes out. But I think we've got four or five episodes. The, the show is called uh, Community Pulse, so it's, um, it's mostly about uh, topics that are interesting towards uh, community builders so it's a show for evangelists like myself developer of ad uh, developer of ad excuse me developer advocates um, community managers community builders people that are out there um, really trying to uh, you know 
the whole, the whole topic of community, I mean, we could talk about that for another hour. So uh, I, I would just encourage people to check out communitypulse.io, which is the website, and look it up on iTunes and on Stitcher. And um, yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, the whole idea of community, I think, is is really big and is going to continue to be big, not just in open source, but in companies even like VictorOps. And uh, be able to have those relationships uh, with your end users, and again, goes back to sort of co-creating value and, and, and creating the service together, I think is really going to be um, really important for a lot of companies moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I'll definitely have to check it out. So again, it's communitypulse.io for the, for the website and then the community pulse on iTunes. So Jason, let's uh, shut this down. But I uh, wanted to thank you very much for, for being on the hot aisle today. And uh, my name is Brent Piatti. And I'm Brian Carpenter. And uh, again, Jason, you're awesome, dude. And uh, we're excited to continue learning about chat ops and Victor ops. So uh, for all of our listeners out there, let us know uh, what you're thinking, what you're interested in, and uh, give us any feedback. We'd love to hear back from you. So with that, let's sign off. Awesome. Hey, Jason, would it be okay yep. if um, every single listener we have went to your website and downloaded Chat Ops for Dummies? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. You heard, <laughs> it, you heard it here. Go get it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go to victorops.com slash chat ops. You'll find it there. It's a free download, and I'd love to uh, hear your thoughts on it.